Um, again, jumping in today, uh, 12 biblical prayers for sweeping revival and spiritual awakening. As I said last week, this is not, these 12 prayers are not original material, but I do not have in my notes where I got it from. So I just, I don't, I don't want to take credit for somebody else's stuff, um, but it's good stuff, and I felt like I wanted to at least share it with you. Going to be scripture content heavy and hopefully minimal commentary from me, but you will get some of that as you always do. And again, just a reminder for me personally, you do with this what you will, but for me personally, this flows from an ongoing dialogue that uh, God, well, it's not been a dialogue, it's more of a monologue with him talking to me because I've got nothing to say, uh, but God suggesting that I would be better off if I spent more time praying for God to move in our country than I would complain, than the time I spend complaining about what's wrong with our country. So I just invite you to join me in praying for our country and our people. The prayers we looked at last week, uh, pray for God's mercy upon our land, pray for a spirit of brokenness and repentance, pray for boldness, holiness, and power in our pastors. And fervent, pray for a fervent prayer to sweep our land. And again, I am not a, a great scholar when it comes to the topic of revival, but the ones that I have spent time reading about are grounded, sustained, powered by prayers of God's people. So just an encouragement there. Then the final thing I'll say before I jump into the first one today, and am I talking fast enough? Because I'm trying really hard to talk fast. Um, I'll take a breath. Uh, I will just say that the four prayers today, um, in my opinion, speak to some of my greatest weaknesses. Um, I know I have strengths. I will own that I have weaknesses. The, the four prayers that I emphasize today are some of the things that I feel have been uh, not my greatest strengths in ministry. And as a result, they may have, oh no, not may have, they have probably shaped this ministry to some extent, uh, all the more reason for us to pray these prayers and look at them. So the first prayer for today is pray for unity in churches and families. And it simply goes, Holy Father, please bring us to a loving unity in our churches and a deep harmony between our churches. Help us tear down the strongholds of bickering and disunity that so ravage your church. And again, uh, I don't think I've Fallen prey to too much bitter, bickering and disunity, but I have not been driven by a passion to accentuate and celebrate and lean into unity among churches, and, and I'm just putting that out there. A uh, few words on that before I wrap up here. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's within the body, that's outside the body, that's within our household, not within our household. It's a command that he gives. Uh, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I have nothing against bumper stickers, t-shirts, or jewelry. But people will not know you are a disciple based on what you post on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or what you put on your car, what you wear. They'll know what you say you are, but they will know what you really are by how we love one another. That's in our families, that's in our friendships, that's in our church, and that's how we get along with others within the body of Christ. 
And it's interesting, of late, certain denominations have been getting a lot of bad press, and I've marveled at how much negative press denominations get when they're doing things that are not politically correct, but they don't get nearly as much press when they seem to be leaning heavily into what God calls them to do. And so, again, I'm not a particular, I'm not a part of that particular denomination, uh, but I realize that I need to pray for them because they are honoring God in the decisions that they're making most of the time. All right, moving on. Uh, let me see here. John 15:12. Jesus is still hammering on this in that passage. Uh, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Again, sometimes if Jesus would just stop a little bit earlier in his statements, it would be so much easier. If he just said love one another and left it there, wouldn't that be awesome? Yep, got that covered. I haven't punched anybody in the throat recently. Um, I'm good. But he says, love each other as I have loved you. And friends, we don't even need to belabor the point how much he loves us, how much nonsense he puts up with, uh, from, with, puts up with from us, and he still loves us enough to go to the cross, enough to forgive us, enough to keep trying to pull us forward. That's the command. Then John 17, 20 and 22, as Jesus is praying prior to his arrest and crucifixion, my prayer is not for them alone, referring to those who were currently serving with him. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. So how close were Jesus and the Father? I think they're kind of pretty closely intertwined. And his prayer is for us to be intertwined in that same fashion and that when we do that, the world may believe that he sent Jesus. So we are a part of the reflection of what God can and will do through Christ. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. I just did that there. Apparently I'm not clicking hard enough. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So again, there is a huge call to unity. But I will also acknowledge that in our world today, there are lots of organizations that call themselves churches. And while... I'm respectful of that. There are organizations that call themselves churches that are making decisions, taking actions that are not necessarily God-honoring. So I simply want to say, as we think about unity, as we pray for unity within God's church, um, I thought of 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for, do, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? There are times there are those who are outside of the church say, why can't all you church folks just get along? Sometimes there are issues that we have to take a stand for, in my opinion, for righteousness' sake, and we cannot compromise on. Which brings me to the last verse I'll share on this passage. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And in my own personal experience, that's not always an easy balance to find. But as we look to pray and seek unity among churches, 
we also have to be discerning in that process. Close your eyes and bow your heads with me as I pray this. Father, today we do pray for unity within your churches and within families. And we pray, Holy Father, please bring us to a loving unity in our churches and a deep harmony between our churches. Help us tear down the strongholds of bickering and this unity that so ravaged your church. Moving on to the next prayer. Pray for an explosion of evangelism. And it simply says, Gracious Lord, please fill us with a burning passion to pray for and witness to the lost. Cause our eyes to weep for souls that we may reap in joy. And again, I will just put it out there. Uh, Evangelism has not ever been a personal strength of mine. I preach the word and I'm very comfortable in that capacity. But in terms of saying that I have a deep burning passion, that has not always been a characteristic of my walk. All the more reason for me to say that is something for which we need to pray. And I will probably say this again because it's been on my heart a lot. Part of the challenge for me as we've come out of COVID, as our culture has continued to shift over the course of my ministry, I am increasingly unclear as to what, evangel- what effective evangelism even looks like in our culture today. But we need to pray that we individually and we collectively as a church and the Christ-honoring, Christ-following churches throughout our country and throughout the world figure out what evangelism looks like today and pray for that and lean into it. And once again, there is certainly a place for the role of the digital realm, but that's not all there is to it. There comes a point at which it's relational. Always has been, always will be. And sometimes, contrary to popular belief, that's face-to-face. So, pray for an explosion of evangelism. Classic. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If we are Christ followers as a church and as individuals, then his mission is our mission. And he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, obviously, he did a lot of other stuff, and he calls us to do a lot of other stuff. But he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Acts chapter 1, 8, but you will receive power. You guys have heard this probably your whole lives. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As the resurrected Jesus was preparing to leave this earth, he said, here's the deal. My spirit will come. And when it comes on you, you will be my witnesses. Friends, I've said this time and time again to yourselves and to me. I don't see that there's a choice involved there. He says, you will be my witnesses. The only choice is, how good a witness am I? I watch crime dramas from time to time. (laughs) Can't help it. And at times when they're talking about court scenes, they talk about somebody as a potentially good witness. And then other times, because the person who's the witness has poor moral character, they're not a good witness. Question is, if the Holy Spirit has come on me, I am his witness. 
Am I a good witness? Am I a witness that points people effectively and accurately and consistently to him? And friends, you heard it said, you know it. And that's not just what I say. Perhaps even more so, it's what I do and what I do over the long haul. I, let me just check. I think I know who's here. Let me check. Okay. I, I, now I can say this. I know every one of you has the capacity to be good at times. I, I, you have that capacity. I've seen it in, in all of you. The question is, how consistent are we? Do people consistently see enough of Christ in me that I'm an effective witness for him? Mark and I were just talking before service started about road rage. And, and again, we all have the capacity to be good. We also have the capacity to be not so good and sometimes really, really far out there. All of that impacts this verse here. So as we pray for an explosion of evangelism, friends, that's not just, oh, somebody ought to go out there and save a lot of people. It's on me. It's on me. It's on you. It's on us. All right? John chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So again, after the, after the baptism of Jesus, uh, John the Baptist said some, some positive things about Jesus. And this guy named Andrew says, huh, I think that's kind of a good thing. I think I'll follow this Jesus. Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. The first thing Andrew did once he figured out, I'm going to follow Jesus, was say, hey, Peter, you ought to come do this too. You ought to come do this too. Just something for us to chew on. Familiar story, the parable of the soils or the sower, whatever you want to call it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on shore. What a great scene. Beautiful day to picture a scene like that. Jesus is kind of out there. They've got this natural uh, amplification benefit of the water, kind of natural amphitheater. People are gathered around. Jesus is sitting in the boat. I don't think he has a line in the water at this time, but he's in the boat. They're having a conversation. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. There's a lot there. We could do a series of messages on that. But I just want to say, when we pray for an explosion of evangelism, we are called to sow seed. Personally, if I'm sowing seed, I want to sow it all into good soil. And I want it all to reap a hundredfold. Guess what? It's not up to me. It's up to me to sow. Some of what I sow, some of what I have sown over the years has fallen on good soil. And you guys are evidence of that. The fact that Karen Community Church is a part of that 
fruit. Some of it's sown on other types of soil. Some of it never saw any fruit. Some of it sprang up and just didn't stick with it. I can name names. You could probably name names. Personally, this is just confessional time. I can obsess over that, and that can decrease my motivation to sow because it hurts. It's tiring to sow and sow and sow and not see any fruit. You know what God says? Get over yourself. It's up to him. Now, does that mean I should neglect good soil? No. But it means we should sow. That's what we're called to do. There are other parts of it, and those are other messages for other days. Romans chapter 10, again, familiar stuff. But what does it say? The word is near you, and it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Without someone speaking to them? Without someone being a witness to them? without someone showing them what it means to follow Jesus in a real, personal way. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've done enough marketplace VBSs, and we are in Michigan, and some of you wear sandals enough, some of you take off your shoes in church, like Kathleen and my wife, I've seen your feet. God says they're beautiful. (laughs) Amen. Regardless of what color your toenails are painted or whether you've trimmed them recently, if you're bringing the good news, you've got beautiful feet. And friends, that's on all of us. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, please Fill us with a burning passion to pray for and witness to the lost. Cause our eyes to weep for souls that we may reap in joy. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. For me, it just kind of gets from bad to worse in terms of my feeling like I've hit the mark. Pray for a passion for missions. Righteous God, empower your people with a burning passion for local and global missions. Grant to us a fiery zeal for planting new churches. Please forgive us for our frequent lack of concern beyond me and mine. Without delving into too much personal history, when we were issued a challenge to come to Albion and plant a church, God gave us that burden and filled our heart with that desire. And that drove us as we carved out 
the ministry that we have the privilege of being a part of. But to my, to our detriment, that was my consuming passion, was this particular church. I, I, I don't apologize that for that, but I do acknowledge that because I was so singularly focused, I did not help us to, help us to develop enough concern, in my opinion, for ministry beyond this church. The illustration we've used before is I was looking to create a lake instead of being a part of a river that was continually flowing. And so, therefore, I don't feel I did an adequate job. And, and again, I, it is what it is. I'm not beating myself up over this. I'm simply saying we've got to pray and we've got to be more mindful of doing better. I didn't create in us. My vision, my passion was to plant a church, not necessarily to plant a church that plants churches. My vision was to plant a church that was a mission, dealt with the mission field in the Albion Homer and surrounding areas. But I didn't create in us a drive for a mission field beyond us. And I, and I just think I'll own that. But we need to be mindful of the need to pray for more in that regard. <sighs> Jesus put it pretty simply. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go for the look, look for the one that wandered off? We haven't been completely ingrown and self-focused, but we certainly have not been terribly outwardly focused beyond this particular ministry. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the one thing we could have done, I, I just start by this. I know I commented about this recently in another context, but in Acts chapter 13, now the church in Antioch were now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, just take a breath with me. This is Saul or Paul. Think about your New Testament and think about all the stuff that Paul did after this moment. They fasted. They prayed. God said, set apart these two because I've got a purpose for them, specific purpose for them. He's got a purpose for all of us. They prayed, sent them off, and the known world was changed. As I said last week, and I'll say in just a moment again, one of the things that the church desperately needs to be doing is praying for moments like that. Praying for God to call people into vocational ministry, calling people into missionary service, whether it's local or global. And then the next prayer. Now, I'm going to pray this prayer, and then we'll move on. <clears throat> pray with me. <clears throat> Righteous God, empower your people, and that's us, with a burning passion for local and global missions. 
grant to us a fiery zeal for planting new churches. Please forgive us for our frequent lack of concern beyond me and mine. Amen. That last phrase, beyond me and mine. Do I come to church for me? Do I come to church for them? Pray for an increase of laborers. Lord of the harvest, please call thousands into ministry, missions, and Christian witness. Send forth a mighty flood of laborers into the harvest. Now, understand, as I interpret that, we're not talking vocational ministry. We're calling for a flood of Christian witness. And we just read earlier in Acts that if we're a Christian, we are a witness. Jesus put it simply. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus said that, but I hear that frequently from somebody else, and, and her name's Cheryl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. All right? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Kind of like I said earlier, am I spending more time complaining about needing more volunteers than I am praying for people to volunteer? Just a thought but it applies to all Christian service. There is a great need. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. Some of us that may be grumpy and may be senior citizens may complain at times about the state of affairs in our nation. And I wonder at times if God is saying, I'm waiting for somebody to step up and stand in the gap. You know, Reuben and I and several others in our congregation had the privilege of going years ago, 96 was it, to stand in the gap in Washington, D.C. million men standing in our nation's capital. Seeking God and seeking heart. I wonder, of those million, how many are still making a difference for God? God's still looking for people to stand in the gap, and that's all of us. A couple passages that, trust me, we'll get there. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just, I, just this image just makes my head explode. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. So with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I, I, I use this and I, I think about worship and I, I can get so focused on that and this that sometimes I miss the rest of it. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. You know, talk about some good worship, you know. All right. 
Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I just don't deserve to be here in this moment. One, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And, and again, you know my, my imagination. I just, I just picture Isaiah in this incredibly divine, holy moment, and he's just filled with, with the presence of God. And then you've got an angel coming at you with a live coal. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Friends, please, please, please join me in praying for God to send forth laborers. Because the church of God and the nation and the world needs Labors to come forth. But don't let it be lost that Isaiah was cleansed and transformed by the touch of God, and then he said, Here am I, send me. Do we have the audacity to pray, Lord, send labors, if we're not willing to say, Here am I, send me? Just a thought. This other one I was telling the worship team. This is this is one of my favorite images from Nehemiah chapter four. And again, the story in Nehemiah, the the Nehemiah had led a group of individuals to come back to to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall to honor God and begin to restore God's nation of Israel. And so they're working, they're building on the wall, and and God's doing amazing things. But but it's not always just going great. So in verse 10 we read, Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, The strength of the labor is giving out, and there's much, so much rubble we cannot rebuild the wall. So they start rebuilding the wall, and it's not, and it's not going great, and they're being threatened, and they're being criticized, and they're, and they're, they're dealing with fear. And it says, you know, we're just kind of stuck here. Jump ahead to verse 13. Nehemiah writes, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So in other words, this is a tough time. We're facing real physical threats. We have a choice. We can quit working, quit doing what God has called us to do, or we can have a plan. And part of the plan was, says, we're going to be prepared for the attack. Verse 12, or verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember, we're talking about praying for God to send forth labors. Yes, there is a battle. Yes, there are threats. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. You know what? We're going to keep taking care of business. From that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, and bows. Everybody had a role to play. Doing the construction or doing the protection. I'll just use a simple illustration since I just get community concerns. I don't expect all of you to be at VBS. But if you're not here building the wall, maybe you could be supporting them in prayer. 
just a random thought. The officers posted themselves behind the, all the people of Judah. The leadership backing the workers doing the work who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. I love that image. I've said it before, sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, doing the work. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you, whenever, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our, our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn until the stars came out. Friends, the church needs laborers. Full-time vocational pastors, children's workers, support staff, missionaries, church planters, educators, we need it all. And it just makes sense that the laborers the church needs will come from within the church. And those who are newly coming into the church. So those all tie in together. Pray with me. Lord of the harvest, please call thousands and thousands and thousands into ministry. Missions and Christian witness. Send forth a mighty flood of laborers into the harvest. And Father, I would add to those words... Help all who have made a decision to enter into a real personal life-changing relationship with you to understand that part of it being real, part of it being personal, and part of it being life-changing is to grasp the role that we each play when we make that decision to join you in restoring your people. Sometimes it's praying, sometimes it's serving, sometimes it's wearing the sword, sometimes it's building the wall. Sometimes it's going across the globe, sometimes it's walking across the street. But you have called all who call themselves followers of you to join you in your mission. Thank you, Father. Amen. Kathleen? and stand as we continue in worship this morning. <clears throat> 